Podcast. The Profile. You're listening to Premier Christian Radio. Well, hello and welcome to The Profile here on Premier Christian Radio with me, Sam Hales. This is the show where we delve into a person's life, faith and ministry, and it's brought to you in association with the UK's leading Christian magazine, Premier Christianity. If you would like a free sample copy of our latest issue, then you can head to our website, premierchristianity.com forward slash free sample. I'm Sam Hales, editor of that magazine, and I'm pleased to say that today, right here on the profile, I'm speaking to Tim Jupp. He was the keyboard player in one of the biggest Christian bands of all time, Delirious, and today he's the founder and pioneer of the Big Church Day Out Festival. That's an annual event which attracts thousands of people every year. Really looking forward to talking about both Delirious and the Big Church Day Out on the show today. Welcome along, Tim. Hello, Sam. It's great to be with you. So let's go right back to the beginning, as we always do on this show. We'd love to hear about a person's um, early life. Um, so tell me a bit about growing up and where Christian faith came in for you. So I grew up in a Christian home on the south coast of England uh, with Christian parents and uh, was probably one of those kids who became a Christian most years. You know, you get every <laughs> time you keep recommitting your life to Jesus kind of thing. And uh, got married at uh, the age of 24 I worked when I left school with a, someone who you are far too young to remember called Ishmael who did children's stuff when I did that for like 12 years. Then jumping forward, I owned a studio in, a, in a Little Hampton where I still live. It's a little one-horse seaside town on the south coast. Um, and we used to make lots of the UK Christian worship albums. People like Matt Redman's first records and Noel Richards and Graham Kendrick. We used to make records for them there. And then we started a youth event in the early 90s called Cutting Edge, mm. which was like 30 kids in a <laughs> school classroom the yeah. first time we met. And it quickly grew. And after about three years, we had three events along the south coast of England in Southampton, Portsmouth, and Littlehampton, our hometown. We had over 3,000 young people gathering every wow. month just to worship. And yeah. that was in the early 90s. Wow. And that really, and Delirious was the house band for that yeah. youth worship event yeah. and it kind of went from there really. amazing so it sounds like music was a really key part of your life right from the get-go where do you think that influence came in well it came in i think when i moved to a town called worthing when i was about 14 years old and i went to this church and they had this really old semi-pro jazz piano player and he just really inspired me right and i thought oh, i'd love to do that and because uh, i can remember one thing he always said to me was don't give me the music, it winds me up. So he was a guy who used to sit at the piano playing away, you know, just by ear. And I thought, oh, this is amazing because it's like one incredible inspiration. So I kind of picked up the piano those days, failed my education miserably because I used to bunk off school and my A-level courses and go and sit in the piano, at the piano, they had this Steinway piano in the church that I was part of. And I used to go there during the daytime when no one was around. <laughs> And learn to play wow. basically Christian worship songs. Well, there weren't that many in those days, but that's how it all began, really. Amazing. So I guess it wasn't just music. It was actually kind of Christian music right from the very beginnings of even learning to play an instrument. I think I fell in love with worship really, really, really early on. I remember my parents taking me to Spring Harvest when I was probably about 12 years old and w w walking into that big top thing 
with thousands of people. And I think back in those days, Spring Harvest was probably the only event where you could kind of go and get that experience mm. where the worship was contemporary. I mean, they, that was one of the first places you ever went to where they had what we now call a time of worship, you know, when they strung one song onto the next one without <laughs> stopping for the notices or a reading or talking between. And they would have a continuous flow of worship. And I thought, oh, that was really exciting. I think from an early age, I thought, that's just what I want to do with my life. Yeah. So you mentioned that you kind of almost became a Christian every year, you know, one of those kids. And I think a lot of people can identify with that. If you grow up in a Christian home and there's opportunities to to give your life to God or to, to become a Christian. Um, since then, though, has, has there been any kind of major moments of doubt or anything you call a crisis of faith since the early years? No, I think there's I've never had really major moments of doubt, but we go through life with questions, don't we? And I think that doesn't go away. And I think the older I get now, now I'm over 50, it's almost more questions. In a sense, you get older and you realise some ways the, the older you get, the less you know about anything. And, you know, and I think, I think in the early days when you're younger, you, you ask questions and you're probably a little bit more black and white and you want answers and you think there's an answer to everything. And maybe life's a little bit greyer. Mm than we ever thought once we get old and we realise it's never quite as simple as yeah. black and white. It's interesting. I've, I've heard a lot of people say that, actually, that as you as you get older, you realise less and less things in the world are black and white. And, and even with theology, people can sometimes become more comfortable with the grey areas, just become more comfortable with, actually, I'm not going to completely understand that element of God or my faith or whatever. But, uh, you, you know, you spend a lot of time with Christian leaders, church leaders. Do, do you think there's sometimes a, a reluctance of those in some form of ministry or leadership to sometimes voice those doubts or concerns because they're worried about how that might affect those who are who are following them yeah i think they're in a difficult position my my wife herself leads a church and people do often want to know what your position is on things and as soon as you make positions on things you, you know you can't be everyone's friend in that sense because people say well i agree with you or don't agree with you and i think life often is about not actually being so positional about everything, mm. but how we learn to hold everything in tension, you know, because it's, it's not as straightforward, is it, all the time saying this person's right and that person's wrong. And often we make ourselves right by trying to make others wrong too, which isn't always a helpful thing either. So picking up the story then, you've already taken us all the way through very quickly and efficiently. I was, am I was amazed. That's my from, media training from yeah, years ago. Yeah, from, from, from early <laughs> life all the way up to Delirious, we got the snapshot picture, which was great. Um, you took us all the way up to Cutting Edge. And I guess we kind of got to that moment in your story where a big decision was, was made. And I don't think you can underestimate the weight of this decision for a group of guys as you were in, in what became Delirious to decide to go full time really with Christian music and to say we're going to support our families we're going to try and make a living from uh, writing recording touring that was a huge moment surely what, what do yeah, you think of that time looking back that was a massive moment for us I think if you put it in context back in in that time it was kind of mid 90s there weren't really any other full-time Christian bands and historically we hadn't really had any maybe there'd been one or two and often they were kind of missionary funded as you know mu musical missionaries really and I think to give your jobs up and we some of us had young children and and that kind of thing was actually a huge thing I can remember someone phoning me 
you know, saying, oh, I heard the great news that you guys are going full time. Now what are you going to do for a living? And it was kind of like, <laughs> well, no, I've just said we're going to go full time. But yeah, we, well, we understand that. But you've got to do something that kind of <laughs> puts food on the table. You can't just do that. Yeah. And so, no, we, we kind of really did decide to do that. And I think with Delirious, I mean, from beginning to end, it's like 17 years altogether. We didn't ever have a plan B. It was just plan A the whole time. And so we kind of threw our lot in, went for it. I mean, it was an amazing time because similarly, there weren't many other full-time Christian bands, but also there weren't, because there weren't many others, there was a kind of a good space when, you know, we were writing some songs and they were starting to get out in the church and we're kind of a weird beginning where I think where lots of bands start and then they travel around and start to play at places so that people become familiar with their music and that kind of thing well we kind of had a back to front journey with that where our songs went somewhere before right. we ever got there and I can remember the first time turning up at places and we'd never been there um, and it felt like everybody knew your songs so that was an amazing thing. We kind of followed yeah. on, you know, on the coattails of our songs as they sure. went around the UK and later on around the world yeah. and went around and were able to play them live with people. And, and what was your kind of role in the band? Obviously, you're, you're playing keyboards, but sometimes in bands, people say, well, they're the main songwriter or, or they do a lot of the arranging or, or this person actually comes up with a lot of the, the production ideas or the particular sounds we use on a track or this person is more behind the scenes with the admin. Did you find yourself sort of fitting into a, a role like that within the band? Yeah, I did very much so. I think in the early days, I was really, well, all, all, all the way through, I was very involved in the kind of, back-end business side of what we did i think you know the minute you start start selling one cd to someone and there's some sort of revenue then you've got a business and yeah. you've got to work out how that goes and, and i think a lot of bands starting out they kind of miss this don't they they don't always understand you're going to have to effectively run this as a business and if you don't then you could find yourself in some some trouble so yeah, you kind and, of took, and took and that I on think, board quite you know i think a lot of you know there's not a right and wrong all this and a lot of bands sign everything away they do to record companies right, yeah. all this kind of thing and a lot of those people take care of that kind of side of life for them and but then you give away control as well and we felt in our team we wanted to really stay you know as captain of the ship mm. and to be able to steer the vision god had given us yeah. and so we never did that right. we never kind of signed our stuff away yeah. or gave up the rights to anything but the the you know the other side was we then had to take care of business ourselves sure. and we ended up in the end i think we had 25 staff in our office about 12 guys on the road in addition all funded by one band of five people wow. traveling around so it was yeah. you know it's a little operation yeah but we loved it yeah C can you give us an example of, of kind of what that looks like in practice to not hand things over to a label or or whoever so to retain control what does that actually look like in practice is that you guys saying oh we're not gonna i don't know play that event or tour that much or you know what what's the concrete example and, and the reason why you'd want to retain control and perhaps not sign over what a lot of other bands would sign over i think well part of it was uh because of a vision thing so we wanted felt like we wanted to be free to be blown with the wind and we're kind of where the holy spirit led us and be able to say yes to this and no to that without too many outside influences Part of it was an economic, commercial decision that if this could work and we could sell records on our own without having to give somebody else half the income, we had a better chance of creating a sustainable way of doing this longer term. So that 
was part of the decision making but I think you know when you do that then when things don't work out or go quite as planned you've uh, only got yourself to blame haven't you <laughs> so yeah, I think you know you often hear these stories of people oh we blame the manager we blame the record company all this kind of thing well we were the manager of the yeah. record company so we had to kind of work it out all in-house you sure. know yeah so you know I think I mentioned at the beginning um arguably the world's biggest Christian band certainly at the time what are the highs and lows of being in that kind of a position in that kind of a world? Well, the biggest, you know, we were all family guys and between us we had 16 children. So the biggest conversation we ever had in the band, which never went away and was there on an almost daily basis, was, you know, how much we could go away. You know, one of the downsides, if you like, or an upside to being in a band is you have to go and play. And particularly when you live in a little one-horse seaside town on the south coast of England, you can't really make a living or create a future by doing gigs in your hometown every night of the week. So you end up travelling, don't you? And that's exciting in terms of the vision. Mm -hmm. And that could only work because all our other halves were bought into that too. But that was, you know, that that was a tension because who wants to go away all Mm -hmm. the time and leave your family at home? So that's you know one of the biggest things that we always talked about. Yeah, was was that um, would that kind of lead to to arguments if if one person was more comfortable spending more time away than others? I don't think it led to arguments at all. But I think what happens is you're a team, and in like any team, everyone's different. And so, you know, sometimes a week away for one person team was just too much at whatever stage they were going through in life. And, you know, at other times someone, I'm fine to go away for two weeks and I'm fine with that. And so you're always working out and do you go with the lowest common denominator of the person who doesn't want to go away or do you go away with others? I think, and what you do in all that, you just have to learn to love each other and have grace for each other because there's not necessarily a right or wrong in all that. One of the the craziest stories uh, I've heard about Delirious and possibly about any band, which I love, and I'd love to hear from you if it's true, is it true that you guys flew to Australia for one day to play one gig and then came back again? Yeah, totally. Oh, actually, New Zealand. New Zealand. Yeah, I do remember that. That we, is we, nuts. But we were away from home for five days Okay. and didn't go to bed because it's like basically two days out there on the plane and then we, you arrive in New Zealand in the morning, get picked up in this van, drove three hours, having been on the plane for two days, and then we arrived at this place, we did a sound check uh, we played this gig. I mean, there were 25,000 people there. Um, and then after we played, we got back in the van, taken back to the airport, uh, sat in the airport that night, got on the plane in the morning, two days home and never went to bed. That is... Killer. I wouldn't recommend it to anyone. <laughs> Terrible decision. It must be some sort of world record. I mean, I've never heard of any other band doing that. That is that is something else, isn't it? Yeah, it was very funny. You've mentioned already the kind of the family difficulties. I think you've got four kids yourself. And um, I can imagine that being one of the most difficult things to, to manage. Not just for yourself, as you say. I think all the rest of the band had kids and family to, to look after. And... Um, how how do you how do you kind of reflect on all that looking back? Do you, do you think? I mean, are there any regrets, or do you think actually families were so on board? This was a mission thing. God called us to it. We you know it's okay. Or, or do you think actually? Well, I don't know. Looking back, is there a bit of feeling uncomfortable that weren't around enough? No, I mean, 
I honestly look back with no regrets on that at all. My kids are doing great. They're all grown up now and getting married, that kind of stage of life. And, you know, I think for them, you can see now that had a really positive influence on their life. I mean, you know, there were treats along the way. Right. It wasn't all, you know, tears and saying goodbye all the time. And there were times in our life when the family could come with us and we got to experience that together. That's cool. Like a kind of big holiday away to another country almost. So they they kind of look back with amazing memories of it all. And, uh, yeah, no regrets in that. I think the main thing is... You know, I think for all of us, you know, we're called to be obedient, aren't we? And I think for us, we felt that's what God was leading us into. I think the regrets, honestly, would have been if we'd not done it. Yeah. Because I think we felt that God had put something in our hands and it was our responsibility to take that and use that. And so, no, it was a great privilege, I would say. Incredible. Well, tell me about the day then that it was first suggested or the conversation happened about ending it all. Well, that was a really interesting time because uh, we uh, caught us off guard because we had some massive meetings, I think, a week before with a company called Live Nation and they wanted to do a big global deal and, like, how do we recreate the next 10 years for you guys and, you know, all this stuff that and everybody kind of got excited about those conversations. And then kind of out of the blue, I can remember we were at some big church in America on a 10-day trip where we were halfway through this trip we're about half an hour before we're going to go on in front of 5,000 people and Martin we were wandering around this car park outside this church and Martin said oh I've got something to share with you I'm feeling like it's time that I call it a day and I think we all knew straight away that probably would mean the end of delirious and uh, so I can remember that because the timing was absolutely terrible. <laughs> so we spent half an hour on the phone, you know, back home saying, oh, this is it. It's all ending. After 17 years, we're wow. just about to go on stage. Wow. And so it was a slightly awkward gig, that one, <laughs> because I think we were there to do a job and people had been excited and waited weeks to come and see us and bought a ticket and all that kind of thing. And we were on stage. I don't think anyone had their mind on what was going on in the room much that night. <laughs> wow. And so then, I mean, I guess this this kind of time is almost where the Big Church Day Out story kind of comes in, doesn't it? Because the very first Big Church Day Out festival, Delirious, headlined. Yeah, in the very last year that we that you were, were in, 2009, yeah. so it was 10 years ago. So, now. so tell me a bit about this story. And it is an amazing story of how Big Church Day Out um, started. Um, involves uh, involves a family and a lot of prayer and an estate and you guys being given permission to to set up what is now a very long-running um, festival. And I guess this transition for you personally of going from being a keyboard player in a band to now managing a festival. So, so tell me a bit about that kind of shift that took place. Well, it was an amazing thing because when I look back, in 17 years of being in Delirious, I'd never, in all honesty, had one conversation with anybody about another trajectory in life or doing anything different than other than what we were doing. All yeah. our conversation, our whole life was about seeing the vision of Delirious grow and where that would go. I never talked to anyone. And I met this old friend of mine that I hadn't seen for years at a mutual friend's wedding. And we talked about the old days. So back in the old days, before Delirious was Delirious, and we ran this event called Cutting Edge, we used to do these events on the beach in Littlehampton where we live. Every summer, about 10,000 people would turn up for a worship event. It was great fun and people got saved and we baptised them in the sea and all that kind of thing. 
And that was brilliant. And this friend of mine had been part of that story. And we just got dreaming about, he's saying, wouldn't it be amazing if we could do something where we live again that brought the church together as a kind of celebration thing? And he said, uh, you should go and see this friend of mine who owns this estate. And I'm thinking, well, hey, I haven't really got time to get involved in something. The band's full on. Right. Yeah. You know, we're, life's busy there. And, you know, I was managing the band and playing in the band. And we were away most weekends at some corner of the earth or other. So we we were busy doing that. So I said, well, I'll go and see your friend. So I rock up at this amazing country estate, meet this a wonderful man called Harry and the amazing thing is I was with Harry last night having dinner with him and his wife huh. on on the estate and they've become really two of our dearest friends over the last 10 years and we see that a lot of them and uh, I'd never met this man before and I'd lived 15 minutes away from him for most of my life and there was this huge posh house and he was like the poshest guy I'd ever met um, real kind of you know, old aristocracy and landed gentry and his kind of his jumper was full of holes and but beautiful, amazing country house. And for, he obviously had been set up by my friend as well. So the first, I walked in and he, he said, the first thing he said to me, he said, hello. He said, hello, are there going to be tents for this thing? <laughs> so he obviously thinks I'm going to come along, run some event. I'm thinking, oh, no, you think I want to come and do something <laughs> like Glastonbury and trash your estate. <laughs> I think this conversation is going to go nowhere. We're both here in a slightly awkward place because a friend, almost like a blind date, set us up. So I just threw the question back at him and I said, well, what would you think, Harry, if something like this ever happened on your land? And he looked at me and he said, I'd love that. And he told me about all the kind of prophetic words and visions people had about seeing people gather on his land so he thinks i'm like the fairy godmother come along (laughs) to help deliver this vision that they'd been given on the land and and i said well this sounds like a really exciting god story and all those words you've had sound amazing and absolutely fantastic and um and i said well i don't know what to do with this but let's stay in touch kind of thing now the amazing thing was that was four weeks before Martin dropped that bombshell on us in that car park about the band ending. So the first conversation I'd ever had with anyone in 17 years happened four weeks before the ending of the band. So when the band came to the end, I thought, oh, this is really interesting. I had this conversation a month ago and I went back to see Harry and and we kind of talked about it more and we talked about the vision of seeing the church gather because you have to remember really what a lot of Delirious did is that we travelled all over the world and we really helped be a part of facilitate other people's visions mm. of seeing the church gather. Yeah. That's yeah. what we did. That was our job. Yeah, so true. It's like wherever we went, people yeah. wanted the church to gather and they'd ask us to come and be part of that yeah. and do the worship for yeah. them. And, and so many of those gigs or festivals or conferences or wherever it was you were playing, so many of those were interdenominational. You know, you'd have, oh, you'd yeah, have Methodists, you'd have Catholics, you'd have protestants of various yeah i mean we had done we had done absolutely everything in delirious on that kind of spectrum of the expression of church pretty much you know from the most crazy mad sort of pentecostal things in south america to playing with the you know playing with the pope on an airfield with a million and a half people in germany i mean and and then playing in small nightclubs and we've pretty much kind of done the whole spectrum yeah and and that's the joy of music, isn't it? One of the wonders is you can go a lot of places that the preachers can't go to. 
you know, where there's not quite such apparent theology to it. And people, you know, music can be a thing that gathers people Mm. rather than divides people and Mm. separates people. Yeah. So that's really why, you know, now doing the Big Church Day is there's a lot of similarities and it's a lot of the DNA of Delirious in it. Because the DNA of Delirious was we believe that when people came together and they worshipped together, that the Holy Spirit could really touch people's lives and at the end of the day make a, a mm. massive difference to people's lives. And that's all that the, the big church day out is trying to do. Is yeah. It's saying we're going to create a space for the whole church to come together. We expect God to be there and let's see what he gets up to. It's been really interesting to hear you talk in the past about um, church unity because one of the things about big church day out, I mean, how many people is it now? We're about 25,000. 25,000. So I think we're the largest kind of single annual gathering that happens every year yeah because i love a lot of these big gatherings but a lot of you know people put a lot of effort into doing a big event and they seem to just happen once and never happen again sure so i was always keen that when we do the big church day out yeah if it's going to be almost on that stadium size thing that we create a way that we could do it every year because this if this is about people bringing their friends Mm. people getting a kind of glimpse into what what church could look like and an opportunity to find out and discover a relationship with Jesus. Well, you don't want to do that once, do you? Sure. You know, no, absolutely you, you know, not. you want them to then bring their friends <laughs> the next year. Well, I can speak as someone thing. who has attended this event, uh, not just once, not just twice, not three times, you know, many times. And it is the sort of place where you want to keep coming back to for sure. As I mentioned, with church unity specifically, you've said in the past that the conversation about church unity is getting louder. I'd love to hear more about what you mean by that and the well, kind of heart behind Big Church Out as a, as a place that can bring Christians of different denominations together in some form of unity. Yeah, I guess, you know, one of the joys of what I do now is we do get, I get to spend more time in England, I get to connect more with people in church leadership. And then wherever you go, it feels like people are talking about it right? in a, in a way that they never used to. Um, and that's a really exciting thing. And I think we see that worked out on many different levels through some of the social action things that go on where churches come together in communities and do things and that kind of thing. We do it, we, we see it a lot, I think, at leadership level. So there's a lot of conferences or there's other, other forums and places where you, it brings church leaders together. And I think that's absolutely essential and vital and then we need even more of that. But when I go to those things, I kind of just come away thinking... Well, that's brilliant, but what does it look like if the people came together? Who's doing that? Who's creating that space for that? And then really, so what the Big Church Day Out does, it just creates a space for all the people to come together. And I think the interesting thing about us is that then, you know, it's not owned by denomination. It's it's not owned by the big churches or anything like that. It just says to everyone, here's a space and we can come together. Well, that brings us to the end of part one of my interview with Tim Jupp from the Big Church Day Out. Join us again to hear more from him right after this. Premier Christianity magazine in this month's issue. We speak with the Archbishop of Canterbury, Justin Welby, about praying in tongues, his vision for evangelism and how he intends to hold the Anglican Communion together. And we ask, should Christians adopt the tidying up trend of Marie Kondo? Plus, discover why we must get better at handling God's gift of prophecy. All this and more in March's issue. For your free copy, visit premierchristianity.com forward slash free sample. The Profile. 
You're listening to Premier Christian Radio. Welcome back to The Profile here on Premier Christian Radio with me, Sam Hales. I'm the editor of Premier Christianity magazine. That is the publication that sponsors this show and makes it all possible. If you want to have a look at what we're doing as a magazine, why not head to premierchristianity.com and while you're there, you can even pick up a free sample copy of our latest issue. That's premierchristianity.com. Time now, though, to rejoin my conversation with Tim Jupp former keyboard player in Delirious and now the founder and pioneer of the Big Church Day Out. You know, you reference that thing I said where it feels like the conversation's getting louder. I mean, I mean, for example, you know, some of my connections even with the Catholic Church and we've seen quite a lot of the Catholic community come to Big Church Day Out now, which is really exciting. And we've made some good friends with that community and I know we're having conversations with them that probably weren't possible 30 or 40 years ago. Mm. Where in the evangelical world, I think it would have been a far more difficult thing mm. to do that. So so what's changed if it was hard 30 years ago and it's easier now? What's what's happened? I, th- I, I don't know. I mean, I guess ultimately you have to put it down to, you know, a move of the Spirit of God, I think. You know, I, th- I I think, you know, I always say about Big Church that we're not a movement or anything like that. You can't join what we're doing because in my mind there is only one movement and that's the church. Mm-hmm. And I think that's so broad in its expression. I think one of the things I learned in Delirious, like I said before, is that we got an opportunity to be invited, engaged with a huge spectrum of expression of church across the world. I think you get to learn pretty quickly that you can't say, well, this person's right and that person's wrong. They've got the whole thing going on. I mean, I can, you know, I'm not a theologian by any means and I can only talk out of my own experience, but I I remember once sitting down with a national leader in the UK of a denominational group and we talked about the connection that our event has with the Catholic community. Now, I can't explain all that. I know there's different theology on some things, but I also know I have some great friends. I have an amazing personal relationship with Jesus who would call himself Catholic, for example. And I can remember um, times like we went to India many times with a band and going to some really some of the darkest corners of the earth where you're in these slum areas and meeting like a tiny community of Catholic nuns, these little old ladies. And, you know, so I was brought up as a good Baptist boy. So maybe with our theology, um, we'd never quite land on the same page mm-hmm. as everything. But then when you ask these ladies why they're doing what they're doing, and you look at them in the eye, they say, well, we fell in love with Jesus, and he's called us to serve the poor, and that's why we're living in this place. Mm you know, to follow his call on our life. And yeah. I think, well, what do you do with that? Yeah. I mean, it's really, goodness me, we don't have all the answers, do we, do all this? And I think yeah. the important thing about unity, you know, I've been in some meetings where people still try and pursue unity by put, putting an agenda down which says, what are all the things that we can agree on? And I think sometimes maybe that's the wrong question, I feel like the question we should be asking, 
more is what are the things not that we can take hold of but the things that we can let go of for example can we let go of the fact that maybe there's been times historically within the church where we've allowed our positions on things and our theology and whatever that is to polarize us relationally mm. from other parts of the church who might have a different perspective yeah. on exactly the same thing and what we do is we polarize ourselves and sometimes we're even worse than that we actually make ourselves right about those things and we do that by maybe making them wrong about things mm. i think i just see the big church out almost like this big shared you know the old classic church picnic thing where we do our <laughs> classic you know the church thing where everyone brings a thing and it's a share bring a dish. and share bring and share that's the one sam bring <laughs> and share and you'll bring the quiche and i'll bring oh, an, quiche christian yeah, quiche. and i'll bring another quiche Has there ever and there's been? a lot of quiche going on that's being shared <laughs> but what happens is we all share and we share these different dishes and i see big church out a bit like that it's like we're, we're it's just one huge picnic almost yeah and there's a great Bible verse somewhere, and I can't remember where it is, about having picnics together. But um, that's not my entire theology for why we do what we do, by the way. <laughs> but the the picture of we've all got something to put on the table and something to bring. We've all got different flavoured quiches. We have. Because there's no such thing as a Christian meeting that's yeah. ever taken place without some Christian quiche. Yeah, you could have a, a bacon and cheese one, and I could have... <laughs> A broccoli one. So let's get back to chatting about the music. And uh, there's a great lineup, as always, Big Church Out this year. Elevation, Hillsong, John Mark McMillan, they're all playing. I mention those three because uh, they're all uh, some of the headliners of the event. And they're all American, of course, or at least not from the UK. And I know you, you said before that in the future you'd love to kind of raise up more, or, you know, help raise up more kind of UK-based artists. And of course, there are plenty of UK-based artists on the bill as well. But nevertheless, it does seem to be not just at Big Church Day Out, but arguably a lot of a lot of the kind of worship music that people in this country are consuming, it tends to be coming from other parts of the world. And I'd love to get your thoughts on this because, um, and this isn't just a delirious thing, but you don't have to go back too far to say, okay, it wasn't just Martin Smith, it wasn't just you know, it was, it was Matt Redman as well, or it was Tim Hughes. And of course, those guys are still making music. But there was a there was a moment, wasn't there, in worship music where it was very UK based. You know, all the big songs that were going around the world, a huge amount of it was coming out from the UK. And I'm not saying that doesn't happen anymore, but it has been interesting in recent years. The shift seems to be focusing, uh, seems to be moving um, more internationally. And there tends to be some very big names from America that, you know, you're bringing into the festival. So what's your thoughts on all of that? And do you still kind of want to see it almost return to the UK? Well, I hold that lightly. I think... I think your observations, I would agree with them entirely, but I think maybe it's just a seasonal thing and I think things move in seasons. And I agree with you, Sam, that I think if you look at it a bit like, I mean, back in the day when we were first going to America, I would say it was a bit of a tide of English worship and it did have, you know, in terms of those of some of the big songs that people sing around the world, that was true and it was also true that it actually impacted a lot of what's coming out of America now. So it's amazing, even for an old guy like me now, <laughs> you know, a lot of these bands we come that we bring over from America, they're like, well, we're only doing what we're doing because of what you guys yeah. did. So there's that kind of honouring thing. And I, I just think, I think it's a bit like a tide. I almost mm. feel like the wave went to America and then mm. now the wave's coming back here right now. And I think there'll come a time when the wave goes back again. And that kind of thing. I think we've just got to all keep going and yeah. do what we do. I mean, sometimes 
there is a frustration in the kind of natural sense of the disadvantage of oh, I'd love to have the resource to really get behind and see the UK guys develop more and make great records and be able to do this for a living and not have to go out and you know do the day job because they could really focus on their calling because there's not sort of an economy mm. here which can sustain yes. them yeah. so that's a really challenging mm. thing and i think what you're seeing a lot in america as well at the minute with the music it's coming out of big churches mm. so that the big churches become the record labels yeah. basically yeah you know they have the resources to create the record they have you know enough backroom staff to promote it and they have a platform to sell it to through their own mm. church and through their networks yeah that kind of thing and get yeah. and get the song sung. Yeah, I, I think all of what you've just said leads to a question that many people have, which is, is are we talking about a worship community or are we talking about a worship industry? Is there some grey in all of that? Because there is that criticism, isn't there, sometimes when people are saying it's all just a kind of business, it's all a money-making thing. You must have heard that before. How do you Yeah, you get that? that all the time, but I think at the end of the day, you know... It comes down a lot if we're talking about musical worship. It does come down to the songs. Mm. It's not there's not a lot of rocket science in it. And you, if you take the industry argument away and you take all those other things away, actually, great songs are great songs, and they'll travel and have a life of their own. So in some ways, it's difficult, and we don't have an in, an industry in a way to support it. In other ways, we have the internet, which is accessible to the whole world all the time. And I think great songs will get out there. So I think our job is to see creativity released and stuff. And, uh, you know, I I have a heart for that. And I'm working closely. I have a lot of friends in the UK who are trying to do stuff. You know, I'm working with a band at the minute called King's Village um, from down our way. I think they're probably one of, by country mile, the leading worship bands in the UK right now. But they're still... It's still a hard journey. Yeah. And they're at the beginning of a journey and they yeah. can't do what these big American churches sure. can do, but they're writing some really amazing songs. Yeah. And, yeah. You know, and I think, I think in the same way, you know, we have a different, slightly different expression sometimes and of church here in the UK, maybe to the US. So I think we've definitely got stuff to offer, particularly if, you know, some of those worship songs need to come out of our life of local church and what we see God doing in our communities. So I don't think it's dead and buried by any means. I think, yeah. you know, we'll see that yeah. come that way. There's some exciting um, future developments. I want to come on and talk a bit about um, uh, the youth element of what Big Church Doubt is going to be doing in the future, which is very exciting. Before we get there, though, uh, we've, got to, we've got to talk about the highs and the lows, unfortunately. And, you know, we should comment on what happened with the North, with Big Church Doubt North. Now, I know this was a, you were really, really keen to say, you know, Big Church Doubt has happened historically, as you say, in, in Sussex. You mentioned the um, incredible Whiston estate. And I am one of the one of the privileged people who has spent just a little bit of time inside that incredible I don't know what you call it, manor house, I suppose. Yeah, Americans uh, think it's a castle. They think it's a castle. We, we can let them keep, think that if they like to. I, I mean, basically... If we you, call it a country pad. It's Yeah, it's, yeah. it's not far off a castle, in, in my humble uh, opinion. And, you know, this incredible thing that's happened in Sussex, but, of course, people have looked at it in the past, and they've said, oh, but that's all the way down in Sussex, and I'm living somewhere further north. And um, so you've tried really... I think more than once, arguably, to try and put something on in the north and replicate what you're doing. And so you'd have a system where you know a band would play on a on a on a say on a Saturday in um, in Sussex, and then they go up on the Sunday and they do Big Church Day out north. 
And um, to, to cut, I guess, a bit of a long story short, it hasn't been financially viable for you. But I'd, I'd like to hear a bit more of that kind of journey of... Um, it must have been quite painful, I guess, to, to want to put something on and just not make it work economically was, was fundamentally what it came down to, wasn't it? Yeah, it did come down to that. I mean, what we're doing, even in the big church down in the south, and we've talked about that story and... You know, we are there because it was a good story and, and we are there because of that and, that. and that's what happened and God did something. So we, you know, had I had that same conversation with somebody in the Midlands or somewhere else, I'm sure I would have listened to what God was doing. But it just happened to be mm. on this amazing estate with a family who had a heart to give up these acres of land to yeah. see the church gather. Yeah. And so we kind of went, went with what God did. Yeah. And so that's why we're there. And, you know, we're aware of people who have been traveling from all over the UK. And, Even uh, further afield, I hear Europe, some people are oh, coming yeah, from Oh, yeah, we there. get, yeah, you know, there's a lot of groups like this. We've got a lot of groups set up from Holland and Belgium, wow. some from France. I saw one from Switzerland the other day. So people traveling from all over. Uh, we've got people coming down from Scotland, they'll fly down, that kind of yeah. thing. And, we're getting a, and then we're getting quite a contingency from the Northwest. And... You have to understand the economics of what we do makes absolutely no sense. If it did make sense and you made money at it, someone else would have done it years ago, <laughs> I tell you. So, you know, it's no surprise in some ways we're the only people doing kind of doing what we do on the scale that we do it. Right. And we're still hugely donor-funded in the South. Yeah. You know, it just doesn't work. You have to sell tickets at, you know, three times the price. You'd have to sell copious amounts of alcohol and food. You'd have to be sponsored by you know, Vodafone or Barclay Card or big high street brands to make, that's how that works yeah. in what we're doing. Yeah. And so there's some stuff that we just can't fix. Yeah. And we make that work because people have been incredibly generous about a vision yeah. of both unity and yeah. seeing people saved. I think it's really helpful to hear that though, because sometimes you do hear people kind of complaining that, you know, a, a ticket's a big church day out. It's in the region of about £50 for a day. But sometimes you do hear, I think especially it's in the Christian world, it seems to be of, oh, that's, that's a lot of money. And you think, well, if this was a mainstream equivalent, it would, as you say, it'd be three times that amount. But I think it's helpful for people to hear the reason the economics don't work are, for example, at a Christian event, you don't sell a lot of alcohol. Or, for example, at Big Church Out, you let people bring their own food in, which a lot of other events wouldn't do. So yeah, I think so it's helpful of, to hear those reasons. A lot of other reasons. events, you wouldn't be allowed to take food on. Now, if we said yeah. to the to the church crowd, you can't bring your own picnic, yeah. they wouldn't come. Yes, because of the quiche. Yes. But then we don't have the income from that either. And, you know, we, we sell food and it's great and it's yeah. fantastic, but not on the level. Yeah. You know, and I, you know, I talked to a guy the other day who was running a mainstream event and he was selling a ticket for £35 to his event for one day. And I said, what do you project on your income from alcohol? He said, from, from the day, he said, oh, exactly the same as the ticket. Well, every, will I do an average income of £35 just on alcohol sales? Whereas we might do an average income of two or three pounds a head on coffee. <laughs> do you know, so, so these things don't quite stack up <laughs> and add up that way. Yeah. I can believe that. And, you know, and our heart is to make it as affordable as we can. Yes. We generally do. Yeah. And that is because we wanted to make it as inclusive as we can. But there's, there's a kind of point where, you know, I think we all need to take, if we want to see this happen, mm. we all need to take responsibility mm. for that. And we've got yeah. some generous people who chip in. They take their part of their yeah. responsibility. And just sticking with, with the main event that you're doing, you know, Big Church Day Out South or which is the only big church doubt that's that's currently running. Just sticking with that, 
what have the numbers been in terms of growth? Because, I mean, as I mentioned, I was there at the first one and, and from going back year on year, it seems like there has been quite significant growth. Are you at capacity for that site or is there still lots more room for people to bring their friends? No, the amazing thing is it's grown every single year. Um, we're 13,000 the first year and it's grown year on year, slowly and steadily. And this year we're up, we're up quite a lot from last year, wow. which is really exciting. The exciting thing on the on the venue down there is actually two of the tenant farmers one either side of the land that we currently use are no longer there and the la- and, and a whole load of land has returned to the control of the estate wow. and we've got the opportunity to really grow that site we could we could get 40 or fifty thousand on there now so great? we're in a real trajectory yeah. of how do we see that yeah happen in the next few years you did ask the question about the north yeah and the north was just really tough yeah um, a big church day, as I've explained, is an incredibly expensive event to put on. Um, we put a lot of work in, and we did. You know, we sold twenty thousand tickets on touring dates in the in in the few years before within a two-hour drive of that site. But when it came to do the event, we couldn't get all the people from a two-hour radius to travel that far. So that's fine, and we know that we understand. We clearly know. You know, we know how these things work. We know these things take a lot of time to build. Mm. Uh, where it kind of really got a bit scary for us is that in the second year, we had 400 less people than the first year. And for us, so it wasn't ultimately actually about the money or the numbers. It was about the fact that it didn't grow. Mm. And I and we felt that if we'd done the third year and we'd gone down in numbers again and not grown again, probably all of Big Church Doubt would have fallen over. That was where we were at. Mm. You know, we would have bankrupt the whole thing. Yeah. That must weigh quite heavily on you personally. It must be quite a weight to carry. I think it's a weight to carry, but you have to hold everything lightly, don't you, in this thing? I think the important thing is that we, you know, we wake up every day knowing that we, you know, the aim for the day is to do the best we can with what God's put in our hands. Mm. And I think we're doing that. And I think... You know, this is where you refer back to the band thing. You know, we can't find our identity and our significance in the things that we do. And at the end of the day, this is there's a bit of a paradox here with me because I'm now leading what's the largest Christian event annually in the UK. And in a funny sort of way, I don't care for events. I'm a local church guy right. through and through. Yeah. My heart is for local church. Yeah. Um, but because I think... You know, events come and go and have seasons. And the great thing is, the church is going nowhere. So long after Big Church Day Out is finished, and one day it will come to an end, it could be another 10 years, 20 years, 30 years, who knows? Um, But the church is going nowhere and the church is here to stay. Hmm. So while we've got that kind of premise for it all, the exciting thing is Big Church Day Out could be a lot of fun Hmm. because we don't hang our hopes on that. Hmm. But in the meantime, God can use that. Yeah. And we're seeing lots of people become Christians at it. Yeah. It can be part of what helps to tell a story of unity in the in the UK and what God's doing yeah. there. And that's really exciting. And we're going to love every minute of it. So tell us about this youth project. Um, BC Youth, I believe you're calling it. Yep. So everybody will know nationally. You know, we don't have to say any more about what an enormous impact Soul Survivor has had for so many years. And no less true for myself personally, on my own on my own level. I mean, 
Delirious were there for many years. Yeah. We used to play in the early years, go along and be guests of the event. And uh, and then my own kids went to the to the event for many years, and so I've got you know the fondest relationship with that event. It's been absolutely amazing. But similarly, going back to our roots, you know, we were involved in youth worship back in the nineties. We're now seeing, even in our local church, a whole new generation of young leaders come through. And God's given us a big event which can be used as a platform. So we're really excited to be able to create an offer as as an option. And I know there's several things going on out there, and I think that's really exciting mm. because I think the variety yeah. and diversity will only ever be a healthy thing. Well, the way Mike Pilavacci's put it is he's aware obviously soul survival was so huge there's actually no one event that can take that many kids but he's spoken about four five or six kind of new events rising up and if everyone takes a few thousand then they can effectively i guess replace what soul survival was doing in, in caring caring for young people i mean mike has has spoken specifically about he will actually want to endorse certain events from the platform at, at soul survivor so it is that something you're kind of hoping for that there'll be a bit of a, you know, Mike giving you the the official yeah, thumbs up, so to speak? I'll, I'll no no idea if Mike <laughs> has any intention in doing that, but I think we're going to go with what we feel God's asking us to do. Uh, I think the fact our, we have a real the roots and the foundations of big church that come out of local church, mm. so we're not an events company essentially. Mm. We are local church people running a huge event but the advantage of that is we have an events team which can deliver something amazing you know for young people yeah. and we're going to add on um some morning program right on the, on the saturday and the sunday and the bank holiday monday around okay. big church youth right called big bc youth around the big church day out where we will have um some teaching some worship ministry you know we want some really to see God really bust into the lives of young people yeah. and real, real genuine encounter mm. with with Jesus and the Holy Spirit. I think what's interesting about us is even with Souls of Ivor, we, we're probably one of the most similar events where, you know, the three pillars of what we kind of sit on would be the same as Souls of Ivor, which would be, you know, inclusivity to everybody. I think that's where... Uh, Big Church Day is unique because it's not a tribal event mm -hmm. and, and, and we're seeing every expression of church coming and then it's the whole evangelistic thing it's a space where people can yeah. bring their friends and it's you know thirdly we love the, the work of the Holy Spirit yeah, and that's who we are as people and we're just excited to see what God does now our event will be in May some people will want a youth event in the summer so they'll do that and I just think we're, you know, we're just creating a, an option creating and a possibility, yeah. which we think will be really exciting. But, you know, I think what people forget about Big Church Day is probably after Soul Survivor, we're probably the largest national event with young people at. Right. But because we're not known as a youth event, yeah, yeah. we've already got thousands and thousands of young people yeah. come to Big Church Day out. And it's just a very natural next step for us. I won't name names because it'd be unfair, but you know, I can think of another Christian event that's kind of based around music that's been running for a very, very long time that is not hitting the kind of numbers you are. And bearing in mind you've only been around, is it 11 years? Uh, yes, yeah, our 10th year this year. 10th year, sorry. Yeah. So Our 11th event. 11th event, yes. 10th year. So, so bearing in mind that, yeah, again, compared to some other events, you're actually quite young. Um, you have grown incredibly quickly. Now, other than... Uh, the answer of God blessing it. What do you attribute that to? Yeah, well, 
Well, if you want to take the good, I mean, I feel like... I <laughs> you feel want to bring like, it back in, don't you? Yeah, yeah. I mean, it has to be about that. There isn't, you know, there is there is strategy around what we're doing. Yeah, that's. I guess that's what I'm asking. You know, we're, we're not in the summer, and the summer's a crowded space for all Christian events. We're in May, so we attract people from... We have people who go to all these other summer events, the festivals, the Bible weeks, um, all the denominational groups come to our event in May and also then go to their thing in the summer. Right. So it's accessible to everyone. Yeah. It's it's short. It's a two day thing. So even if you don't like camping, you, either you don't have to camp or you can camp and do it for a night or two and get away with it. It we're the, probably the cheapest event out there. Um. If you look at what people pay to come to our event, mm. you know, per day, mm. by a country mile mm. in, in some respects. Yeah. So I think, and, and I think our heart is just to be inclusive. So yeah. in terms of being accessible to a very broad expression of both age and mm. churchmanship, mm. that's, you know, all those yeah. things combined, yeah. plus it. I like to think it's brilliant. <laughs> you <laughs> well, know, the I, content's amazing. I'm an impartial journalist. I can never say what I personally think of the event, but it doesn't take a genius to read, it, read between the lines and, and figure out what I personally feel of it. But hey, we're, we're not here to talk about my feelings on Big Church Day Out. That's I, all right. You go ahead. <laughs> I would love to know, given that you are a musician, given your history, your heritage and delirious, how much personal say you have in who you want to book? I have a lot of say. You have actually. a lot of say. Well, I have a lot of say in who we invite. Who you invite? We have okay. to get this different. Okay. Because people always say to you, "Why didn't you book, book this person? Book this person?" <laughs> and I think if you knew the half of what goes on, <laughs> you know, we're already talking to people about 2021, and you wow. start those conversations early. Wow. And I will have this A list every year. Yeah. And it'll always end up looking completely different. So you have to bear in mind because I understand from the other side as well yeah. when, when we were in Delirious we were getting five or six hundred invitations from all over the world every year and we could probably commit to a hundred of them mm. so which ones do you take so wow. we're up against that with all oh, it's not you know just because we're a big event it doesn't mean that they're not getting other invitations all mm. over the world to other big events mm. so there's that there's the relational side um, and it's, it's so it's not like you've got a Chinese menu where you can go down and just tick off all the ones you want and then they'll come. Yeah. It just does not work like that. So yeah. I have to say I'm excited that God's been faithful to that. And every year yeah. it's ended up amazing. And, you know, what's exciting now is sometimes people say, oh, I'm, oh, I'm not coming because the lineup's good. Not very good. And I'm thinking. Well, you're probably the wrong person to come to our event in the first place because we're not about lineup. We're about creating a space for the church to come together. But we want it to be brilliant. And every year it is going to be absolutely brilliant, I promise you. But it might be brilliant sometimes with people you've never heard of. Mm. And sometimes we're booking actually artists that are very well known in different spheres yeah. or in different countries. Yeah. And people think, well, I've never heard of them. I'm yeah. thinking, well, you probably not really know what's going on then. Yeah. You know, kind of thing. So I think this year's going to be unbelievable. I mean, even like having Sinatch there and Ty Tribbett, you know, because they're gospel artists, a lot of people who are into gospel music think, well, I've never heard of them. And I'm thinking, well, what, we've got Ty Tribbett at our event. What an amazing thing. Yeah. Yeah. You know, probably the, one of the only events mm -hmm. in, the, in Europe that's got this incredible gospel artist yeah. this year. It's yeah. going to be incredible. And it, it, is, it is brilliant. And I guess, but it also highlights a sadness that a lot of people feel and i wonder if you share this it highlights the sadness that the church in in this country is sometimes divided down racial lines and so you might have a black majority church who know exactly who those two artists are 
but you might have a, a white majority church who've never heard of them. And there is a sadness for some people saying, isn't it a shame that we're not almost, that there's a sort of divide down racial lines, divide down musical lines, and you've got half the church listening to this worship leader and the other half, half the church listening to this gospel artist. And I suppose one of the things about Big Church Day Out is you're deliberately, I suppose, booking from both sides of that, if you like, and trying to bring everyone yeah, I together. Think I, this, is, this is the paradox. This is what we hold intentional all the time. There's two things is that we want to in some way demonstrate unity mm. and that is we do that in our way the way we do that is say we're going to create a space everybody can come mm. that's how and then we're in a field together and then we can walk around this field for two days looking at people from all different diverse parts of the church and knowing it's okay and yeah. smiling at each other yeah. so we demonstrate unity, mm. and then the other side of the paradox is we celebrate the diversity. Right. So it's all those things. Yeah. Because we're all different. We're yeah. always going to be different, and it's a cultural thing. And you know, we like all sorts of music. People like, and God's made us all different, hasn't He? Mm. I mean, you know, He's not made us all the same. Yeah. And there's always going to be people who like this sort of music or that sort of music. Yeah. You know, and it's not about the gospel or music or the other sort of music i know we've got choirs we've got orchestras like some people don't like like classical music you know and this year i've got an orchestra doing worship in our worship yes well i guess that's another thing worth mentioning that there are different stages different venues so if you want more of a yeah it's not a youth event it's not for young people it's for the church yeah and the church is all ages well i mean there's only one act i mean you mentioned some amazing acts that are playing this year you mentioned sinatra we've talked about elevation worship and hillsong and there's there's obviously only one act that's really missing that we need to book for i mean you need to book for 2020 2021 i mean you're nodding your head you know exactly what i'm talking about and it's the question you must get all the time and i bet you're sick and tired of hearing it but it would be wrong for me to conduct this interview and not ask it when are delirious going to get back together and headline big church now again uh my answer is you're asking the wrong person <laughs> how do i know uh well oh, you can't, who knows you can't blame it's me for trying to question isn't it you can't if I blame knew the answer trying. to that <laughs> they might so, do it for free though i mean you know you never know yeah <laughs> I don't think it's ever about the money, though. I think it's whether they do it or not. <laughs> They're tough to book, for yeah. sure. Okay, well, Tim, it's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you so much for coming in and chatting about all things Delirious and the Big Church Day Out, and um, keep up the awesome work. Loved it. Thank you, Sam. You're listening to Premier Christian Radio. That was my interview with Tim Jupp, the founder of the Big Church Day Out. If you want to find out more about all things Big Church Day Out, just go to their website, which is bigchurchdayout.com. You can get tickets, find out about the lineup, everything you need to know. It's all at bigchurchdayout.com. And during that interview, we obviously talked about the days of Delirious. That's the band that Tim Jupp played keyboards in. And it was fronted by Martin Smith. If you want to hear my interview with Martin Smith, that's available on the Profile podcast. More and more people are choosing to access this show as a podcast. That means that you can get it direct to your phone, your tablet, or wherever you like to access podcasts. If you want to check out the Profile podcast, just go to premierchristianradio.com forward slash the profile or search for the profile wherever you normally get your podcast from and you will find my interview with martin smith and many other people over 100 people now have been interviewed on the profile podcast we are sadly out of time but thanks so much for joining me for this past hour to hear my interview with tim jupp i do hope you enjoyed it and we will see you next time